Well, everyone online, I welcome you uh, to Red Hills Church, and I'm so thankful that you're part of what God is doing. Hey, church family, can we give it all up for everyone listening online? Come on, let them know that you love them, that we're one, we're one family, uh, not in one location, but in many locations, and we're all connected together. I want to say specifically, if you're brand new with us, maybe this is your first time watching, listening, being here in the room. Welcome to our church, Red Hills Church. My name is Aaron Hanson. I'm the lead pastor. I have the privilege of leading, shepherding this church that I love so much, but it's a church. Our mission is this. It's to inspire people to know Jesus. It's inspire people to know Jesus. At the deepest part of who we are, we want you to develop and cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. I read an article this morning, uh, and uh, I think it was in the New York Times, and it talked about uh, that Pew Research did a, uh, a research study in all the sermons, on several sermons, I think it was something like they listened to 13,000 sermons and they transcribed them and they came up with the terms that were common in all these sermons across all these different churches and all these different denominations. And you would think that the word Jesus and kingdom and gospel would be in there, but they weren't. And so our church, I just wanted to do a recommitment to you, is that our church is about the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again so my word count on Jesus and gospel goes up. All right, our church is about the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we are in the beginning, uh, the second week into a new series that we started last week called The Journey Home, Finding the Way Back to God. This is what I've discovered. I've discovered this about my own my, myself. I've discovered this in relationship with other people is that it doesn't matter what stage or phase you are in your life. There are times and there are moments where you feel far from God. Where, where you feel maybe disconnected from God, where you don't feel close to God. I mean, there was a, even a time in my life where opening up the Bible, I would just read the words, but there was like no passion inside me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You just read the words, and how, what does this have to do with my life? Now, I'm a professional Christian, all right? I get paid to read the Bible and study the Bible, and there are still moments where I feel far from God. And this next few weeks is about us going back home. Home is in the presence of God. The most restful, the most home that you will feel is when you are close to Jesus, when you are close to God. It doesn't matter if you're 5,000 miles away from your physical home. Some of you Fox students, you're away from home. It doesn't matter that your spiritual home, that you are at home, you have security, you have rest in Jesus Christ. And so in this series, we're looking at the life of Moses. It's a character study on Moses. And we're looking at his life, and, and, and it's in the book of Exodus. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 2 with me. Um, and, 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 and as we look at the life of Moses, most times when we read the Exodus, we focus on the big events of what happened, namely the Exodus, Israel getting rescued out of Egypt. But I'm taking a very personal approach to Moses' life to look at the things that he would have faced as a human, as a leader, uh, today as a father, and as a husband, as a normal and ordinary human being, and, and how his journey goes back to God, and how we can follow in his footsteps, in his spiritual path to get closer to God, to get closer 
to Jesus. So we learned last week in Exodus chapter one, uh, chapter two, verse one through fifteen. This is what we learned: that that, that Moses, uh, uh, can I call him Mo for short? Mo, uh, Mo is messed up. All right, Mo has lived a dysfunctional life. He was born. Uh, with Pharaoh wanting to kill him. So he came into Egypt with Pharaoh wanting to kill him. And he leaves Egypt with Pharaoh wanting to kill him. He is abandoned by his mother at 90 days old. He's given back. Then he's given up again. So he's abandoned not once, but he's abandoned twice. So he's got abandonment issues. And some of you are thinking, but he's abandoned for a good reason. That doesn't matter. Abandonment does, does not matter the cause. That might help when you're an adult. But he's he has abandonment issues. We don't know who his dad is. He goes to Egypt in the household of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh becomes his adopted foster uh, surrogate daddy. Uh, and then in the end, his uh, dysfunction overflows into a fit of rage where he kills an Egyptian uh, and Pharaoh, his foster dad, wants him dead. And so that is where we, we ended the story last week. And it was all about knowing your story. And here's what I find fascinating is that did you know, do you know who the author of Exodus is? Who wrote the book? <laughs> Moses. All right, there you go. Everyone say Moses. Moses is credited with writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses wrote it. So Moses, listen, he wrote his own story. And he didn't edit out the parts of his story that, that were difficult, all right? Most of us, we would, if we wrote a biography of our life, we might edit out some of the, the deepest, darkest details of our life that we don't want anyone else to know. But Moses writes them all, and he knows his story. And so we're going to pick up on this in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verse 15 again all the way through verse 25. So follow along with me. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from, where, from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian, uh, listen to that, an Egyptian, not a Hebrew, an Egyptian, they're talking about Moses, rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned 
about them. Let, let's look at Moses' life. What does Moses do when he's in trouble? He does what most of you and I would do when someone's going to kill our life. We would run. All right, we would run. You, you, you know, the, 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 the answer that we often have to pain in life or uh, difficulty in life is to fight, it is to flight, or it is to freeze. Any, anybody a fighter in the room? Anybody a fighter? Anybody a flighter? All right, is that a word, a flighter? Uh, is anybody just freeze when you don't know what to do? Uh, and Moses, he runs. Because we know if he stays and if he tries to fight, it's certain death. Moses isn't just going against the man Pharaoh, he's going against what everyone believes is the God Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is this intermediary between man and God, and so he has declared himself divine in and of himself. And so Moses is up against Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, Ramsey the second Pharaoh, the one known throughout history, uh, and Moses is up against him, and so Moses runs. I think the running away from the chaos of the world is the wake-up call for Moses. I think this is actually a turning point in his life. Uh, he doesn't know what to do. He realizes his dysfunction. He cannot stay. So the only thing he does is he runs. And where does he go? He runs out in the desert. Now, some of us thought Egypt was in the desert, but Egypt, uh, he leaves the oasis in the desert. Egypt is a beautiful area, the Nile River. There's lush green around the Nile River, and he leaves for the desert, and he goes to a place called Midian. Now, the Bible reads so quickly that sometimes we, we just forget to, to ask questions like, well, how far is, is Midian from Egypt? We might think that Moses went five miles out into the desert. But, but as the crow flies, Midian is 360 miles from Egypt. So Moses' journey is not a little walk in the park. It is a two to three week journey all alone in the desert all alone in the desert. He's got a lot of time to think, a lot of time to process, a lot of time to experience what God has for him. And he doesn't, we know at this point, he doesn't even really know who God is. And so he is in the journey and he is in the desert. And it's a dry season for him, literally and figuratively. It is a desert season a confusing season, a difficult season, a bewildering season. How many of you have ever been in a desert season? All right. How many of you are currently in a desert season? You know that feeling where you, 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 you feel dry, you feel like you haven't heard from the Lord, you feel like, uh, like there's problems going on. Oftentimes when we're in a season of life, we just say stuff like this or people say things like this to you. Well, it's just a season. It's just a season. But how many of you know it's always a season? <laughs> it's not just a season. I almost titled this sermon, It's Just a Season. And I realized it's always a season. Because you go from one season to the next season. Are you with me? You go from one season to the next season. And Moses is in a season, a desert season, a season of, of difficulty, a season of chaos. And we all go through these seasons in our life. We go through seasons of chaos and seasons of peace, good seasons and bad seasons. Sometimes the seasons run together concurrently with one another. And oftentimes when we're in a desert season, we ask questions, but I think we ask the wrong question. And the wrong question is this, God, when are you going to take me out of this season? Because I'm ready to be done. 
All right, I've been asking that for the last 18, 19 months. When are we going to be out of this season? When is life going to get back to normal? When, you know, when, and every, no one's saying life is going to get back to normal, right? And they're saying words that I've come to hate. This is the new normal. I don't want this to be a new normal. I want to go back to the old normal, all right? Uh, and, and so I've been in a season, God, I want this season to end, but that's the wrong question. The, the right question is this, God, what are you trying to teach me in the season that you have me in? What am I, what are you wanting to, to teach me? What am I here to learn in this season? And the reality is this, if you're in a difficult season, you usually want out of that season. You usually want out. God, take me out of the season. But Psalm 23 does not say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God takes me out of the valley. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are what? With me. By the way, if you're new to our church, I expect you to talk back sometimes. <laughs> you are with me. He does not promise to take you out of the valley. He promises to be with you in the valley and in the season. So the question is, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season. Let me define what I mean by season. If you take a notes, you can write this down. A season is this. A season is a place or stage of life where God has you. It's a place or stage of life that God has you in. And the timing of that season is completely up to God. For Moses, this is the beginning of a 40-year season. Remember, Moses' life, we can think of it in thirds. He lived to be 120 and so from 0 to 40 is his life in Egypt. From 40 to 80 is his life in Midian. From 80 to 120 is his, him leading Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land. And so the first part of his life is the life of dysfunction. The second part, this starts a new season for Moses, a 40-year season for Moses and God is taking him into a new season and the new season is the desert season. So if you're wondering what my sermon is about today, I'll give it to you right here. Here's my proposition. Here is the theme of my sermon. That the desert season becomes the crucible in which God transforms and changes Moses' life into the man and leader that he wants him to be. The desert place actually becomes the crucible, right? The centerpiece of God changing and transforming Moses into the man that he wants him to be, into the leader that he wants him to be. What does this mean for your life? That the desert seasons of your life, the difficult seasons of your life, can be the place where God changes and transforms you the most. And he prepares you to be the man, the woman, the mother, the father, the son, the daughter, the worker, the boss that he wants you to be. It is found, let me tell you, it is found not in uh, the, 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 the lush seasons. It's found in the desert seasons. And this new season starts at the well. It says Moses ran away and he went to the well. The well is important in the Bible Moses is smart. He goes and finds a well, because where there is a well, there is always what? Water. There's something else. There's always water, and there's always women, all right? There's always water, and there's always women. And, and, and so M Moses goes, and he meets 
this woman named Zipporah. By, by the way, this is significant. Let, let me just pause on this a moment and connect some dots for you. Do you know the well is the place where godly men and godly women in the Bible meet and get married? Do you realize that? Some of you are like, oh, what are you talking about? All right, Abraham's son Isaac, where does he meet Rebecca? Or where is she found? The well, all right? His son Jacob meets Rachel, where? The well. All right, Moses meets Zipporah, where? The well. Some of you single people are wondering, where is the well today, all right? <laughs> I want to go to the well. The well becomes the metaphor in the Bible where godly men meet godly women. Last I heard, the well is Red Hills Church. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, I know three couples who serve in youth ministry that got engaged in the last 30 days, all right? Cody is right here, all right? Jonathan's serving coffee. Josh is right here, all right? That, that's the well. The well is, is becoming a youth leader at Red Hills Church. Some of you single people, you know what? We're going to have the most leaders uh, in any ministry in, in, at that, all right? I was thinking last night, if I ever start a singles ministry, I'm going to call it the well, all right? It's the place. It's the place where godly men meet godly women and amazing things happen. So Moses is smart. He goes to the well. And where there's water, there is always women. Listen, I want to take this a little deeper with you because I think it has significance. In the New Testament, this is turned around because there is another woman who meets another man at the well. And she meets her spiritual husband spiritual bridegroom and she enters a life-altering relationship with this man at the well it's the samaritan woman who meets jesus at the well are you with me good things happen at the well godly things happen at the well, the well has been the place where God's divine revelation has come to humans, to men and women, and good things happen. And Jesus turns everything around, and he's like, you thought you came for water, but I have water that you cannot even imagine. I have living water, everlasting water. And he gives that. The well, the well is Jesus. The well is Christ. Let me tell you, whatever season you're in, whatever your season you're in, find the well. Find the place where you can drink from the well, where you can experience Jesus Christ, where you can experience his love, where you can experience his comfort, where you can experience and hear his voice. Find your way to the well. Let me tell you this, for every season you're in, there is a well. There is a well. One of the most discouraging things that I've seen in the last season that we've been is, is people leaving the churches, leaving their small groups, leaving people that they've been with for years, and they're not drinking at the well. They're not drinking from the well. They're not pressing in to Jesus. We are in a season where it's more important than ever for us as Christians to press into what God has for us, not walk away. There is a sifting happening in our country. There is a sifting happening. The pandemic has accelerated what has been happening for 20 years, the decline of people attending, listening to church. 
It has accelerated that. Those who used to go once every six weeks now go once every year. All right? Those who used to go, those who were Christers, Christmas and Easters, they don't go anymore. All right? It has accelerated. And so there is a sifting that is happening in this place. I think there is a sifting that is happening even in our church. Whatever season you're in, make sure you find the well. And the well is the beginning of Moses' journey home. It's the beginning of his healing. It's the beginning of him finding family. It's the beginning of him uh, becoming a follower uh, of God. So many things happen when he goes to the well. When he goes to the well. Finding the way back to God is embracing the season he has for you. Finding your way back to God is embracing the season he has for you. I want to give you three things that Moses experienced in the desert that I think we can experience in our season of life. Things that we can experience even today as you go through whatever season that you are in. The first one is this, is that Moses had a season of solitude, a season of solitude. Moses ran away from the chaos and he went to the desert. He had three weeks all alone to think about his life. Three weeks to get to that well where he didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have Spotify. He couldn't listen to his favorite podcast. He couldn't watch the favorite churches and preachers that he liked. I mean, there was nothing but him and his own thoughts. He was in a season of solitude. He had to separate what was going on in chaos in order for God to do something in his life. There is a spiritual law of gravity at work here. Just like the physical law of gravity would say this. If you had a jar of water with dirt or sediment in it, uh, of sand, and, and you swirled around it around, the water would be dirty. It would be murky. You wouldn't be able to see through it, right? Whether you shake it or swirl it. But the moment you begin to set that jar down, gravity uh, begins to work, and that sediment and that dirt begins to settle on the bottom, and the clarity begins to come in the water. Just like the physical law of gravity, there is a spiritual law of gravity. When you go to a place of solitude, your heart and your life begin to settle down. And that's exactly what's happening to Moses. His heart begins to settle down. It took me to take three months off for my heart to begin to settle down, to rest in to what God has for me. It might take some of you some time to figure out how to settle down. And let me tell you, the significance of the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Some of you are thinking, is that actually a spiritual discipline? Listen, I know we live in 2021 where some of you grew up with an iPad in your hands as a baby, all right, or an iPhone, and, and, and we've been connected We've been connected for years. So the idea of silence and solitude, did you know that silence and solitude has been one of the primary ways people have connected to God throughout history? Silence and solitude. The act of worshiping God through being quiet. What, what is silence and solitude? It, it, it means that you go someplace or you separate yourself where you don't talk and no one talks to you 
where you find a place that is completely free of distraction. How many of you know that that is getting harder and harder to do in our culture? To find a place free of distraction, especially when the phone fits in our pocket and we get a ding every time that notification happens, right? And it's a, it's a, little, it's a, it's a, it's a buzz, right? You get a little high from it. Like, oh, someone's calling me, someone's texting me, someone liked something. And so silence and solitude is separating yourself from the chaos of the world in order to hear and experience God. Sometimes we think that, that this is an archaic way of worshiping God. And it is. I mean, it is an ancient way. We might think of the early monastics in the church in the 4th and 5th century that left kind of uh, the, the cultural Christianity of the day and they literally went out in the desert and they began to build monasteries to separate themselves from, from what was happening in Christianity. And it wasn't because they just wanted to be alone. What they saw was the, 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 the assimilation of culture into the church. And they said, oh, 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 we need to take a break and we need to step out of this. And so they stepped out of this. Now, I'm not proposing you go start a monastery. But it might not be a bad idea to visit one for a day or two. There's a great one about 50 minutes from here, Mount Angel Monastery, Mount Angel Abbey, anybody have been there, all right? The fifth grade discipleship group takes the kids there uh, every year. They go there to experience and hear God. It's a place that is quiet. It's a place of silence and solitude that the monks don't talk to you and you don't talk to them, all right? It's a place where you can leave your phone in the car and just be alone with God. You see, the thing about finding solitude is you must be intentional. When I took Three months off, I had to do some drastic things in order to separate myself from the everyday. I changed my phone number, all right? I changed my phone number. I gave about five people my phone number, not because I don't like anybody, because I like everybody, but I needed to withdraw for a while and just be with God and be with my family. 20 years ago when I started ministry, you had a work phone and then you had your personal phone. You no longer have a work phone and a personal phone. You, you have a work and personal phone all in one pocket. Are you with me? It's changed. It's changed. When I, when I left, I had to be intentional about my email. I gave my assistant my password to my work email. And I said, you have to change my password so I can't get into my email. I know I've got problems and I'm working through that. So she literally, she changed the password on my email so I can't get calendar notifications, so I couldn't get uh, email. So even when I was tempted to do some work and see what was going on at Red Hills Church, I couldn't. I had to draw some strict boundaries for myself. And so some of you, in order to find that solitude and come face to face with the dysfunctions and pain in your life, it's to find that place. Why, why is that? Why do you need to shut your phone off? Because listen, the phone has become our new medication for life. It, 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 it's, you know, it, it can be distraction, but it also can be the way that we medicate. We watch, we listen, and we're never without it. When I was a youth pastor, there used to be this kid that would sleep with his phone underneath his pillow. I got mad at him because my name, by the way, my name is the first name on everybody's list, contacts. And anybody name starts with an A, you know what I'm talking about. You always get dialed on accident. He would call me in the middle of the night. I said, man, you need to, I'm going to take your phone away. But we need to separate ourselves, find silence, find solitude, and see what God has for us. 
So what, what would I suggest? I would say take a day or two where you find a place where you go all by yourself. Some of you, that's scary. You're like, I've never been all by myself for more than an hour, <laughs> apart from my phone, apart from people. You, you, you are not as needed as you think you are, all right? You, you, are not, you do not need to be as available as you think you do. You can survive. In fact, I would say you're gonna come face to face with God in a season of silence and solitude. When God begins to settle your heart, you begin to move to the next season. And we see this with Moses, that God begins to settle his heart and settle his soul. He moves into the next season. The next season is this. It's a season of healing. It's a season of healing. Listen, all of us have pain. All of us has dysfunction. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how much you read the Bible. I don't care about those things that all of us have, have uh, actions that we do and attitudes and behaviors that we do that are not like Christ. And all of us have work to do. We have uh, a, a sanctification to happen. We all need healing in our life. And when you finally begin to settle down, God can finally begin to do the work of healing because he can't do it if you're not listening and you're not paying attention to him. And so he does this with Moses' life. And he does it in, a, in the most uh, unusual way for Moses is that healing happens in relationships. Moses meets his wife at the well, and his wife brings him home. And, and here the text says Ruel, but, but later his name is changed to Jethro. It is Moses' father-in-law, and this becomes his dad that he's never had. Jethro helps him even in everyday situations like leadership. And he teaches them, and he comes alongside of him. And healing happens in relationships, and healing happens in family. And Moses comes, he says the most self-aware statement in all of Exodus chapter 2. When he has a son, Gershom, he says this, I am a foreigner in a foreign land. Some of you think, well, well what's so significant about that? Well, Moses was probably wondering, am I Egyptian or am I Hebrew? I don't know. I grew up in both. He's probably wondering his cultural, racial identity. And then he just gives up and says, well, I'm just a foreigner in a foreign land. I don't belong anywhere, so I'm going to name my son Gershom. All right, poor kid. Don't name your kid Gershom, all right? And so he becomes self-aware, and it happens through the healing of being with family, of finding a new family. Moses finds a family that he never had. Let me, let me propose to you this, is that the most healing that's gonna happen in your life is gonna happen through relationships. We know, we've known for a while that we were created with an interconnectedness and an interdependence upon one another as people. There was a, a study done uh, several years ago uh, by uh, Dr. Lisa uh, Berkman, chair of the Department of Society of Human Development and Psychology at the Harvard School of Public Health. And she did a study where she surveyed 7,000, or she studied 7,000 men and women. And this is what she found. She found that those who were more connected socially with families and friends and their churches were three times more likely to live longer than those who were disconnected. That's a big deal. 
So, so she goes on to say this, that even those who had an unhealthy lifestyle of lack of exercise, of, of being overweight, of, of, of even smoking, lived longer those who had strong social web of connections with an unhealthy lifestyle live longer than those who lived a healthy lifestyle but were lonely. And the author of the article, he says this, his conclusion is this, is that loneliness will kill you faster than cigarettes. It's the importance of finding a strong social web. I'm not going telling you all to go smoke and hang out with friends. It's not what I'm saying. But he had, but it's having strong social family connections. You were created for relationships. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. Most of our pain in our life that we've had, most of our dysfunction and pain has been caused by relationships with people. And it's often the people who love you the most are the ones that hurt you the most. All right. It's ironic that God chose people to be the agents of healing in our life. That the same way that we are hurt is the same way through people that we are healed. And we are called as followers of Jesus to be agents of healing in relationships. This is why, church family, this is why we push small groups. This is why we push becoming part of a dream team, going to next steps. It's not because we, we have all these programs and we just want to keep everyone busy and active. It's because we know the value of church relationships, of, of spiritual family relationships, not only for your spiritual life, but also for your physical life. Getting connected with your church family is a matter of life or death. It isn't some flippant thing, oh, join a tribe because you're going to have fun. No, 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 join a tribe because you're going to find healing. And you're going to find a family. Join a dream team, which is what we call people who serve in ministry on a team here, because you're going to find connection. And it starts there. And when you find that, you will begin to find healing. Let me go to the last one. In verse 23 and 25 in Exodus chapter 2, the, the, the storyline kind of changes. It's all about Moses' life. And then at the end, it's kind of this meanwhile back at the ranch. They, they say at the same time, because they don't want you to forget. They don't want you to get so lost and caught up in Moses' story that you forget what's going on. They say that Israel's having a hard time and they're still in slavery and they're still in pain and they're crying out to God and God's hearing their prayers. And so Moses, as he's writing this, he wants you to remember that there's a bigger picture at work, that God is doing something in his life that is bigger than just finding personal emotional healing. God is doing this. God is taking him into a season of training. And so the season of the desert becomes a season of preparation and training for what God has for him. Let me say you, tell, tell you today that your season is a season of training and preparation for the work that God has for you. We are all called to ministry. We are all called to serve one another. 
It's, it's not, the Bible does not say 20% of the people in the church, this is Pareto's principle, should do 80% of the work. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that 20% of the people should, should give 80% of the income. It doesn't say that. It says that we should all be a part, that we are all a body with hands and feet and eyes and ears and toes. And there, there are, the, the body of Christ is multifaceted. It's beautiful. And we celebrate the ones that get the most attention, but the Bible doesn't. The Bible celebrates the diversity in the body of Jesus Christ. And so God is preparing you for what he has for you in the desert season. And the preparation often happens in a place of obscurity. Moses is in Midian. Where's Midian exactly? It's like, where's Amity or Sheridan? No, no, I shouldn't say that. For me, I was in Gresham and we always said boring Oregon. Well, you know, where, where is that? It's, it's obscurity. God is preparing you in obscurity. I find it harder and harder to be prepared in obscurity. Why? Because today we like to, we don't just have a public life and a private life. We have a, a private life that we publicize. And we do it ourselves, right? We do it ourselves. We, we become our own press. <laughs> we, we, we write articles about us. And we make ourselves look really good. And so we publicize our private life. So you can look at your favorite person and find out what they did this weekend. And there's, there's no privacy anymore. It's harder and harder, but God prepares you in obscurity. Nobody knows who Moses is. Moses is a nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Moses is at the bottom, and God is preparing him in this place. You see, your character is developed in obscurity, and it's in the place of preparation. You see, before God elevates you, he wants to prepare you. Before God brings you to the highs, he wants to know that you can handle the lows. He wants to prepare you for the job, for the assignment that he has cut out for you. And it's a place serving his church. And it's a place bringing people to Jesus. You can have a career path for your life but you need to have a spiritual career path. What has God called you to, to do for his kingdom and his gospel? Where are you involved? Where are you serving? Where are you being trained? We know this, that your training does not happen on the mountaintops, it happens in the valleys. The best fruit is grown in the valleys. We are a great example living in the Willamette Valley, the Shehalem Valley more specifically, you've got hazelnuts, you've got grapes, you've got peaches, you've got apples, you've got, we found this last, the, yesterday, huge pumpkins, right? The best fruit grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. In the valleys where you are developed character. The season of the desert is the place where you are developed the most. Character is developed, by the way, it's not a gift. Character is not a spiritual gift. 
the fruit of the Spirit is not something that God gives you. Oh, you became a Christian. Let me give you peace. Let me give you patience. Let me give you self-control. Let me give you these things. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit is something that's cultivated in your life. And it's cultivated not when everything's going great. It's cultivated when everything's going bad. It's cultivated when things are not good. Character is developed in the valleys and the season of desert. I want you to stand with me and we're gonna go into a song in a moment and close out with a song. When I was in Israel four years ago, I, um, I was, stayed for three weeks and the, the base was in Jerusalem. And if you've never been to Israel, Jerusalem is, has an elevation of 2,500 feet. So Jerusalem's in the mountains. It's in the mountains of Israel. Sometimes it even snows in Jerusalem. 2,500 feet, and there's one day we are gonna go to Jericho and see the old city of Jericho, which is still there. You can see the clay bricks. And as we're going to Jericho, Jericho is at an elevation of negative 870 feet. It's one of the lowest cities in the world. And so as you're going from Jerusalem, you're descending into Jericho, and then you, you pass a sign that says uh, you are entering below sea level. And it's the weirdest thing. And you think, what can ever grow below sea level? And you get down into Jericho. And I remember on our way, we were visiting Elijah's spring. Uh, and, and on our way, I see fields and fields of trees. And they're growing these fig trees in the desert, in the valley, in the lowest valley on earth. They're growing fruit in the valley. And it reminded me that sometimes in the darkest valley, in the driest desert, in the deepest uh, 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 places of your life, God is developing you and he's doing something in your life. Embrace the season God has for you. You want to make your way back to God, embrace this season. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, thank you for the season that you have us all in. Some are in a difficult, painful season, and I pray, Lord, that they experience you in that season. God, that we all experience you in this season. And God, as you are sifting our nation, may we be the ones that stay and that stand strong. Would you do something so radical within us that our light shines so bright in this dark world? We praise your name, Lord. We love you in your name.